Good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. I'm looking forward to our time together. Uh, thank you so much for coming out on Friday night and seeing the movie about my dad. Uh, my dad was a very amazing man um, he, he, in so many ways. I don't know if you have a favorite part uh, or quote in, in the movie that you saw on Friday, but one of my favorite quotes is when my dad uh, said something like this. God said, God reached down and said, all I need is some good raw material, and I was good raw material. I like it because it really tells me what my dad thought about himself. Um, he didn't really feel like he was anything really special. Um, and yet, he had such a great impact on so many people. Now, some people ask me, what was it about your dad that allowed him to have such a great impact? Now, you may be surprised to hear the answer. It's not just the quality of what he taught. It was also how he lived his life. He also lived his life like a servant of Christ, first and foremost. Um, in some ways, my dad reminds me of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. In fact, his favorite verse was Philippians 1.21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So what was it about the Apostle Paul that made how he lived so fruitful and impactful? I think this is especially important because we want to live as servant leaders, don't we? We want to know how to be fruitful and impactful for God. So this last month, I spent a bunch of time reading the New Testament, specifically trying to answer this question. And I want to share with you a few snapshots of the Apostle Paul's life to help us understand how you and I can be fruitful and impactful as a servant of Christ. And I want to identify five keys to being fruitful and impactful. Now, to be honest, um, the, the, the first key to being fruitful and impactful is this. When you and I recognize our strength comes when we turn away from relying on our own personal resources to accomplish God's purpose. Have you learned that? I feel like I'm, I'm just beginning to understand that. But please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that the Apostle Paul's life wasn't um, impactful. He wasn't capable of doing many things. Luke records in Acts 14.1 about the Apostle Paul that they came to Iconium, Paul and his cohorts, came to Iconium and they spoke in such a way that many believed. Paul was persuasive, and yet we see over and over again Paul basically saying that he didn't rely on his own strength. And there are many places we can see this in the New Testament, but there's one place in particular. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 to 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 to 5, starting at verse 1. Let me read this for you. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. You see, 
Paul wasn't trying to speak to people in the way that people would say, wow, Paul, how wise you are or how eloquent you are. That wasn't his goal. Look at what he says next in verse 2. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, the first thing I want to know when I read a passage like this is what does it mean that uh, I want to know Jesus Christ and him crucified? Well, first of all, let's talk about what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that Paul only spoke of Jesus Christ and never talked about the God of the Old Testament. In fact, you may remember in 1 Corinthians 9.22, Paul said, I became all things to all men so that by all means I can save some. So when Paul was speaking to Jewish people, he talked about the promised Messiah. And yet in Acts 17, when he was speaking to the humanist and pantheist of the day, he was talking about the nature of God. So what was Paul trying to say in verse 2? Well, let's look back at 1 Corinthians 1.17. In 1 Corinthians 1.17, Paul says this, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom. Here's the point. Lest the cross of Christ be empty of its power. Did you hear it? Paul didn't uh, depend on his persuasive powers because it wasn't the words he chose. It was the power of God behind the words that made a difference. And it was specifically the resurrection power, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead. The power of the cross changes everything. Do you realize that? The power of the cross changes everything. Let me share this principle from my own experience. You see, there are times when I'm talking to a professed atheist and I can't get them to see the evidence for the existence of God, all right? What I do sometimes is I'll change my approach and I'll say something like this. Have you come to any conclusions about who Jesus Christ is? Sometimes a simple question like that can change the whole conversation. Why? Because there's something about the name Jesus. And there's something about his sacrificial and miraculous life that can change people's hearts. Listen to what Paul said in verses four and five, because he clarifies this even more. And he said, and my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith may not rest in wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Amen? It's the power of God he relied on and it was the Holy Spirit that impacts people's hearts, that changes people's hearts, and not the words. It's the Holy Spirit that makes a difference in our lives. Paul said in Romans 8, 11, and if the spirit of him 
who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. Let me illustrate this. You know, when I'm witnessing to someone, I try to point out there are two decisions people need to make about Jesus Christ. They have to decide, is there enough evidence to believe that it's true? But then they also have to decide to believe in Christ. And believing in Christ is a matter of the Holy Spirit working in people's hearts. It's not enough just to give evidence for who Jesus is. The Spirit of God has to change people's hearts so they embrace Jesus Christ. Amen? That's why we see that the, the Apostle Paul boasted in his weakness. He didn't boast in his own strength. He boasted in God's strength because he realized that's where the power was. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to 10, Paul says this, but he, God, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Then he says, therefore I will boast all more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, and then here's the punchline. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Can I suggest to you that this is the secret that Paul learned about the Christian life? That we too need to learn, don't we? The secret is to not rely on our own strength, but in God alone. This is the first key. The second key is when we choose to tap into God's unlimited source of power to fuel our lives. Have you learned this? That when you and I tap into God's power, that's when our lives can make a big difference in our circle of influence. But you know, it's a choice, isn't it? I can choose to live the Christian life in my own strength and fail miserably, just ask my wife, or I can choose to tap in to God's strength. See, the Apostle Paul understood how important it was to tap into God's power. You see, one of my favorite verses is Philippians 2.13, because it basically says that God has to give me the desires and then he has to empower me to accomplish what he wants me to accomplish. Are you familiar with that verse? It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work his good pleasure. I don't know if you're aware of this. J.B. Phillips wrote a book called Your God is Too Small. <laughs> And unfortunately, many times we don't realize how true that is. You know why? We underestimate God's power. 
Let me illustrate this um, in just a conversation I had. Sometimes when I'm talking to an atheist, I have to remind them that their arguments of God, uh, against the Christian God are not as strong as they think because they don't understand the power of God. Now, Paul understood this. Do you remember what he said in Colossians 1:17? He said, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. Do you know what that means? That means God is not only a beginning cause for your and my existence, he is also a current or sustaining cause for our existence. And the implications are God has to hold you and I into existence at each moment of our life, and he has to do it for eternity. We are totally dependent on God. We just sometimes don't realize it. That's the kind of power that God has. Jesus said in John 15, 5, that apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you believe that? Nothing. Well, I think I can do some things, right? I'm pretty clever. No, we can do nothing. Now, the Apostle Paul not only recognized how completely dependent he was on God, but he also realized the implications of tapping in to that unlimited power to unleash in his own life. And that's why he didn't tap into his limited resources. He depended on God's strength. Now, isn't that something you and I should consider? Here's a perspective I want you to think about. You and I won't have so much self-focus when we realize our real source comes about when we rely on God's unlimited resources and not our own. Do you think that's true? I know that's true in my own life. If I could just focus on what God has for me and not what I have, what David has, God could do so much more in my life. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 15, 18, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. That was the secret of the power in Paul's life. Can I suggest to you that's the secret for us of the power in our life? You know, my dad was like that. He never wanted to talk about himself or his own accomplishments. He always wanted to give credit to the Lord for everything that happened. So here's an important question I want us to think about. What would happen in your life and in my life if we only tapped into just a drop, just a drop of God's unlimited power to fuel our life?
just a drop, what would happen? I think we would live different lives. I would live a different life if I could only tap in to that one drop. Remember, if God has unlimited power, what can he do? What can he do in your life, in my life? God can do anything. We just have to believe him. We have to trust in him and allow the Holy Spirit to make those changes in our hearts. That's the second key. The third key to living a fruitful and impactful life as a servant of Christ is when we are careful to live a disciplined life so that our character is aligned with our commitment to Christ. Amen? You know, my dad was like that. Do you know throughout his life, no one ever accused my dad of anything immoral because of how he lived his life. And if you look in the New Testament, you see where Paul talks about this, the importance of our life matching our beliefs. You see, he understood that the greatest aid to keep us from making bad moral decisions is if you and I walk in dependency on the Holy Spirit, amen? Don't you and I have to do that every day with all the temptations that are thrown at us on a regular basis? Remember what the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 5.16, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by means of the Holy Spirit, just like you would need crutches if you had a broken leg. You would have to walk by means of those crutches. You and I need to walk by the means of the Holy Spirit daily. And Paul understood how important that was. But he also understood how important it is that our faith is genuine. Look at what he says in 2 Corinthians 11:3. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. See, that's what the world is looking for. Authentic Christians. Amen? See, he also knew how the enemy was constantly looking for ways to trip up Christians. Have you learned that yet? Look at what's happened in our country in the last 60 years. My father points out in the movie that from 1960 that we removed the teachings of creation, creator, and God-given moral values in our public schools. And things are even worse today, right? It was that moral complacency on our part that allowed us to tolerate so much evil. The bottom line is our faith has to be sincere. If we're going to ever hope to reach those in our circle of influence, look at what the enemy has done to destroy marriages. 
He reminds Titus of the importance of being sober-minded. Titus 2.12, be sober-minded. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You know, I have to remind myself of that truth. And you and I should pray for spiritual protection from the enemy every single day. We should pray for our children, our grandchildren, ourselves. You see, our character needs to be aligned with our commitment to Christ if you and I are going to impact the next generation for Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the third key. The fourth key is when we live our life tethered by the convictions about our calling. Do you believe that? Is your life tethered by the conviction of your calling? Paul was a man that was driven by his convictions. In 1 Corinthians 9, 16, he says, for if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. You see, Paul had such a deep conviction that he had no right to boast that he was doing what God wanted him to do. See, for Apostle Paul, it was more than an obligation. It was a deep abiding conviction. You've ever heard the difference between an opinion and a conviction? An opinion is something you hold, and a conviction is something that holds you. And Paul had a deep, abiding, inescapable conviction about his calling. But you and I shouldn't uh, misunderstand that we also have a calling, right? It's not just that the Apostle Paul has a calling. It's not that the pastors in this church have a calling. All of us in the body of Christ have a calling. Amen? Do you believe that? Listen to where, where Paul makes this clear in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. He says, and listen to this very carefully, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Now notice here, the focus is on equipping the saints, so that they can do the work. That means all of us in the church have a calling, all right? It's not just the pastors or teachers or leaders of the church. Their responsibility is to equip you. But the body of Christ has the responsibility of doing the work of the ministry. Amen? Do you believe that? Do you believe that it's your responsibility, not the pastors? The pastors are responsible for equipping you so you can do the work of the ministry. You see, those people in your circle of influence that you can reach, you have a calling, don't you? Paul makes it even more clear in 1 Corinthians 12, 14 to 15, 15 talking about the body of Christ and how we all play a part. It's kind of humorous. He says, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. 
That would not make it any less part of the body. That's silly for us to talk like that, right? We all have a part to play. Now, you may say, okay, I hear what you're saying, but I can never be like the Apostle Paul. I could never be a Norm Geisler, or I could never be a Pastor Marty Baker, all right? Well, I understand your reluctancy. And to be honest, I feel like most of my life, I've told the Lord what he can't do in my life because of my limitations. But all of us in the body of Christ have a part to play, amen? We all have a unique calling. We're all called to be doing the work of an evangelist. We're all called to disciple our children and our grandchildren. I have a friend named Charlie who is a Vietnam War veteran. And I tell Charlie all the time, Charlie, you're going to be able to reach people I will never be able to reach. Can I suggest to you that you will be able to reach some people that the pastors in this church will never be able to reach? Amen? Did you notice that Paul didn't let his personal suffering get in the way of his calling? He reminded Timothy that he endured everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain salvation. You see, Paul knew that one day he was going to have to be accountable. He was going to have to be accountable for his life. Look at what he says in 2 Corinthians 5, 9 to 10. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or bad. You know, someday we're all going to be held accountable, including me. You see, I've been impacted by two great men in my life, my father and my friend, Reverend Edmund Chen. But can I suggest to you that you have great Bible teaching in this church? and that someday you are going to be accountable for what you did with that. Now, if we find we're not taking steps of faith to follow God's calling for our life because we feel unqualified, consider this perspective. We can feel unqualified to do what God has called us to do, but we still should be obedient. Amen? Regardless of how we feel. To be honest, <laughs> I've never felt qualified to do anything that God has called me to do. But I'm trying to be obedient. Are you? Are you being obedient to what God has called you to do in this church, in your circle of influence? where God has you around the world? The fifth key is this. When we keep our eye on the prize, knowing how much we have to gain. See, Paul understood that whatever he endured in his life, it was worth it because of what he would gain. 
Do you remember what he said in Romans 8, 18? For I consider that the suffering of this present times are not worthy compared to the glory that's to be revealed to us. We know Paul had a thorn in the flesh, and uh, God gave it to him so he wouldn't boast. So heaven must be something amazing. Have you ever thought about that? Do you realize that how we live in this post-COVID world is not how God wants us to live? Do you realize that? God has so much more for us. He has so much riches that he wants to share with us in the next life. Do you remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, 8? Who will sustain you to the end, guiltless, guiltless, in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are unimpeachable. Do you realize that? We are unimpeachable when we get to heaven. And that's what motivated Paul to do all the things he did. He had an understanding about what he was supposed to do, and that made a huge difference in his life. But he also had a certain philosophy of life. You see this in Philippians 3, 7 and 8, uh, through 9. He says, but whatever gain I had, I count as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost for the sake of surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for, I've, uh, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul said, everything I thought was important, I laid aside. I consider it garbage or dung compared to knowing Jesus Christ. Do you remember on Friday in the movie, my dad talked about his experience and witnessing to his mom and how she threatened to kill him with a poker stick if he tried to witness to her again? What was my dad's response? Philippians 1.21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said, Mom, if you kill me, I get to be with Christ. If you let me live, I'm going to live for Christ. That was my dad's philosophy, just like the apostle Paul. What helped the apostle Paul? He didn't take his eyes off the prize. Look at Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Brethren, I do not consider I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? Are you doing what the Apostle Paul is doing? Are you not taking your eyes off the prize? Are you focusing on the things that God wants you to focus on? Here's a perspective you and I should consider. If we see ourselves as servants of Christ and understand what we have to gain, we will value eternal things and see temporal losses is not that important. Isn't that true? You see, Paul understood the urgency of the task, and that's why he had a certain philosophy about how to live. 
and he could live with a certain sense of contentment. He said in Philippians 4, 11 to 12, not that I speak of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am, I'm to be content. I know how to get along with, um, uh, I know how to be brought low, I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul learned how to be content. I struggle with that. I'm not very content, ask my wife. But let me try to summarize what I'm trying to say today. I'm like shooting from a, uh, a gun uh, uh, and, and trying to get you to understand certain things. Uh, we've been talking about the keys to living a fruitful life, and I mentioned that there are five keys. But let me just try to simplify the message. Because I think the Apostle Paul lived in a certain kind of way. And here's the way that you and I should learn to, to live. We should live with nothing to prove, nothing to lose, nothing to hide, but everything, I mean everything, to gain, regardless of the cost. The Apostle Paul learned the secret of living the Christian life. Isn't it time for us to learn that same secret? What is, what is it time for you and I to do that maybe we don't feel qualified to do, that God has called us to do? Remember what Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who gives us strength. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much that you lived your life in such a way that it made it possible for us to have a relationship with the God of heaven and that someday, Lord, we're going to experience that amazing personal uh, encounter with you and, and everything that goes with that. Lord, I just pray, God, that you would help us to be faithful to our calling, whatever it is, wherever you called us. We thank you for our time together this morning. In Jesus' name.